Well, we are so excited to have Havla back again. And uh, last time she was here, I just went up to her and I said, any time that you're within like 60 miles radius, we'll drop everything and have you here. And so uh, we're so fortunate to have her with us again. So I'm going to get off the microphone and have her come up, huh? Welcome up, Havla. There are so many more of you in this room for that kind of clap. Can you guys just give a clap at least to God? That would be awesome. <laughs> you guys, that was awesome. Thank you for worship. I don't think I've seen them lead here yet, and it was, it was awesome. I, I know I've seen the girl on the keys, but I don't know if I've seen the guy on the guitar. I probably, I probably have. I don't know. I have a lot of children, and I get a little, very little sleep, so maybe that's what it is. Uh, but that was awesome, right? You know, um... The feeling that I had tonight during worship was this. How many of you felt like it was a little hard? Did anybody feel like it was a little hard? Okay. How many of you felt like there, there was a really sweet presence? You felt a sense of like, well, there's something really sweet. How many of you felt a, kind of a hunger in the room? Like we want more, we're not quite there yet, but we want more. Uh, and I think all of that was here. So you didn't, no one missed anything. Um, but my thought is that... Um, Spirit is, he wants us to want more, but the feeling that I get over this group is this. You guys have a very deep hunger for something that's very authentic and very real. And you've been asking God for it and you've done the unpopular thing, which is you've made time for God and not try to entertain people. And what I've noticed is that because you said, we don't want to entertain, we just want God, I felt his presence just kind of kind of come in like a wave and sit among us. And it was almost like if you weren't quite ready for it, it would have felt a little awkward. But I felt, Boone, if you were ready for it, you just kind of felt him invite, just this presence of just like, hey, invite me in. And I just felt him come and then as... The girl on the keyboard just began to say like, hey, even if we just got $50, at least we got $50. And when she began to kind of declare about over us, I felt like some of us were kind of getting it like, oh, you're, you are good, God. Oh, you are here. And he kind of began to open up our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you with that thought that when you're in worship, it's not just so that you kind of worship and get taken away and wow, that was so easy, but that you actually begin to watch the room. What's God doing? What's God in? Is there a song that's being sung? that there's something there. And then my suggestion is that you kind of pray along with it. So if there's something where it kind of lingers for a while, just sit there. God, what are you saying to the room? God, and then, and then if you don't really feel anything, look around. Maybe God highlights someone to you during worship. You just see somebody and, and you ask God, Lord, do I go over and, and pray for them or do I just pray for them during worship? And begin to pray for them and begin to participate in the spirit. So that's free tonight. Uh, but I thought I would, I would share with you a little bit of what was going on in my heart. Is that good? Everybody's with me? Okay, awesome. Um, I am Havla Cunnington. I have a husband here, Ben Cunnington, who's on the front. Will you just stand and wave at the people? <laughs> at the people. That's my husband. We have four boys. We have Judah, who's six, Hudson, who's four, Grayson, who's two, and Beckham, who's seven months. And um, we are not having any more children. We figured out what's going on. No. <laughs> and um, so we're practicing abstinence. <laughs> we're not. But um, <laughs> we're not. Praise God. But I think um, 
that we have a beautiful family. We have four boys. And I, like I've said before, I was not raised around boys. I have a twin sister. I have a mom. I have an Italian dad who's almost a girl. And I just have had no boys in my life. And boys are gross. Just gross. I love you men, but you have, a, you have a, gross is a different level than girls. Like if a man says gross, you should never ask what they're talking about as a girl. Like ne- if a man says that's gross, they're not talking gross. They're talking foul. They're talking like another, do you know what I mean, girls? How many of you had brothers in the room? You're like, yeah, they're probably, you guys just need inner healing for that. And I, I find that with my boys, you know, I, I was telling Jesus culture this, uh, but there was one point when my car started smelling and I couldn't figure out what the smell was. And I, uh, I finally went and got the car cleaned. And, you know, as a parent, you have no idea what's back there. There's certain places in my house I don't even go into. Like the boys' bathroom, don't go in there. Don't use the toilet. I would rather hold it. It's just disgusting. I, I just, it's just gross. But anyway, that's probably more than you want to know. Um, but so I'm like, man, it really smells. I got to go on a hunt. So I finally, after getting all cleaned, it still smelled. And so I climb in the back seat and I look in the cup holder. And in the cup holder, my Hudson had peed in it all the way, luckily, not to overflowing. It was just enough to keep it safe. And uh, I remember driving around that week and him saying he had to pee. And I was like, well, you'll be fine. Just hold it. I don't think he did. He didn't hold it. And uh, so I just waited until Ben got home to help me out <laughs> and clean it. But because um, Ben has a way stronger stomach. Yeah, last night we were driving here from Reading and uh, we got packed. It took me. I don't know, 10 hours to pack all six of us. We're on a seven-day trip to Disneyland. And uh, I, I get everybody packed. We're in the car. We're two hours later than I wanted to be. I was here this morning speaking at Capital Christian High School at their assembly at 8.15 this morning, which was great. And uh, so we're like 15, 10 minutes down the road, and all of a sudden, my son's like, Hudson threw up. I'm like, he what? Like, what did he throw? And they're like, no, he threw up all over your iPad. I'm like, awesome. (laughs) Ben, we pull over the car. It's just dark. And he's just covered. The whole back seat's covered. So Ben, my heroic husband, cleans the whole thing up. We're stripping the kid down. We're putting clothes on him. And I'm just like, this is disgusting. I don't do throw up. I get, get ready this morning, get up really early, get ready, leave to leave the house, p- pick up my iPad, open the iPad, which had never been cleaned from last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been sanitized. Don't worry. We're all good. It's still working. Um, if you have a sensitive stomach, I do apologize. Uh, but anyway, that was my morning. So most anointed people clean up throw up in the morning. I'm just kidding. Okay. But I don't clean up throat. That's right. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace in the room tonight. I thank you that people are going to get words. I thank you that you're, you're going to highlight things to different individuals that are stuck tonight. I thank you that you've been preparing them all day. And even if it feels like a crappy day, God, you are still setting them up for good things. And so I speak life over them today. I say, God, yes and amen to the word over their lives. Lord, it is not going to return void. It is going to reap and there's going to be a huge harvest in it. So we bless you. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay. So tonight we're talking about higher, higher, 
Higher, thank you. So tonight we're talking about living a defined life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write that. Or live, it's called living a defined life. And I'm gonna take you a little bit through some practical stuff tonight because I believe that the supernatural is just as much practical as it is supernatural. I believe in your life, some of you are so supernatural, you're no practically good. Some of you are so practical, you're no spiritually good. And so really... The the development of our spiritual life, walking with Christ, is about finding how to do both well. It's about understanding when it's time to pick up your Bible and actually study it, and when it's time to put the Bible down and go pay your bills. Sometimes it's about going to a meeting where you have an amazing speaker who's cute and, and has four children, or sometimes it's about going on a date night, because that's what you need to do to love your wife or your husband, right? So it's all about the balance of learning about what is spiritual in my life. It's all, sa- it's all sacred. The secular is sacred. Tozer talks about it. There's no line between secular and sacred in our lives. It's all sacred. What we put our hands to, if we follow Christ, we love him, we want to do his will, guess what? When I'm ch- I always say I'm changing the world one diaper at a time. And that's really how I feel. I am, when Jesus said, go into the, all the world, he said to me, go into your living room. And that's what I do. I go into my living room and I have purpose with what I do because it doesn't matter if I'm going in my living room and loving people or I'm coming here tonight and loving people. It's all sacred to him. It all counts. Some of you went to work today and you just had a 10-hour work day and you get here and you go to worship and guess what? You've been worshiping him all day. He has seen everything you've done from the moment you got your coffee all the way through your lunch breaks, all the way through your internet search, all the way through you getting here. And now through worship, he's going, it all matters, it all counts, it's all worthy, it's all righteous, it's all where you put your head and it's all where you put your heart. And so tonight I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, a defined life and the purpose of having a defined life. And I I hope to be practical as much as spiritual with you tonight, but I I want us first to look at a few things, and I hope you all can see this board. But most of you will learn this in in Bible school if you've ever gone to Bible school or uh, something like that. But we all kind of have a timeline in our life that looks like this, right? It's a very long timeline, hopefully. And we live our lives. This is just us, right? So we're living our lives. We're born on the earth. Little smiley face. Please don't be jealous of my drawing. And then all of a sudden, what happens in our lives is you don't get to choose who, what family you were born in, right? Some of you guys had knucklehead moms, knucklehead dads. Some of you didn't even have them. Some of you were raised by your grandparents. Some of you were raised by really great parents. You didn't get to choose that. Nothing you did deserved that. God just sovereignly plopped you in that family and said, this is what um, you have at this moment. Now, if you were dropped on your head as a young person and you didn't have everything you needed, guess what? God's going to spend the rest of your life making it up to you. So don't worry. He will. The Bible says whatever the locust has eaten, he will return to you. It may not look in the perfect picture of what you would expect it to, but he knows the desires of your heart. And if you trust him until the end, he'll get there. He'll get there. Some of you, your, your hard start was not with your parents. It was from relationships in your life. You had a coach that was not good to you. You had a teacher that was not good to you. You had an aunt or an uncle. You had a friend or something in your life, a, a, a relational connection as a young person that you didn't get to choose, but it was hurtful and painful and it changed you. 
And so your timeline begins with that. Some of you, you had a physical ailment. Some of you were born with something physically wrong. Whether you were sick, whether you have ADHD, whether there was something where it happened in the chemistry of your body and you were born with something that changed you forever. And you've been walking that out. So we all have places that we start out with brokenness. Ultimately, we all need a savior. Ultimately, no matter how fairy tale life your like, life is like, God will make a way where you understand you need a savior. He just will. There, there is no fulfillment apart from Jesus Christ. There is no fulfillment apart from living for Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, all in, nothing holding back. Cross and him crucified is all that you know. That's where life begins. That's where fullness begins. That's where love begins. All of it happens there. And so we all come to a crossroad in our life where he interrupts our timeline with the cross of Jesus Christ and we meet him. How many of you remember that time when he interrupted your life? If you haven't yet, that's okay. But some of you tonight, you're in this place where you started your life and all of a sudden you had an encounter, whether it was an encounter in church, whether it was an encounter on a mountain, whether it was an encounter with somebody that loved you and they prayed for you and you were seven years old, 13 years old, 20 years old, or you're about to have a breakthrough. Ultimately, you're coming to a place where you say, this is, it, it, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me and your whole timeline gets interrupted. And so what happened in your lineage, your dad was, was not good. Guess what? You, you no longer are bound by who your dad was. You now get to be the dad your dad never was. Your whole timeline is, is totally interrupted. Some of you, you were broken when you started. You, you physically could not think things through. I remember myself, I had learning disabilities. I grew up in a great home, but you know what? Great families don't heal learning disabilities. And I remember struggling my entire high school years all throughout thinking I was stupid. I couldn't get it together. And what made it worse was having a smart identical twin. And so here I was on this timeline. God interrupts my, I have learning disabilities. I'm never going to really accomplish anything. Live off my parents. See what happens. God interrupts that in my life. And he says to me, guess what? I'm going to make you smart. Why? Because my timeline has been interrupted. My worldly timeline has changed. Some of you have been in broken relationships. You have had, you are a serial dater. You've been dating for as long as you can remember and you've had broken relationship after broken and nothing seems to last. You know why? Because God's about to interrupt your timeline and show you what a healthy relationship looks like and how to get your needs met in a healthy way. Some of you have addictions, even now, that you've had the cross, but you haven't had the cross in that area in your life. And guess what? It's going to be interrupted. That's just the promise of Jesus when we follow him. So what happens is, all of a sudden, our new timeline begins. So now, what would have been our lives, and some of you would be deadbeat, some of you would be broken, some of you would be totally successful, but completely empty, chasing money and power. Some of you would be on your third marriage. Come on. Come on. Some of you would be bankrupt emotionally, physically, spiritually bankrupt, but God interrupts it and he begins to change us. Now, when our timeline is interrupted, everything changes within us and all of a sudden, our destination changes in our lives. So this now in your life, as the timeline happens, it now becomes crucial that you know where you're going. So much more than this, because this is kind of a natural flow and you try to get out of your basic, but guess what? They've done statistics and they show that people that usually grow up a certain way end up a certain way. 
right? It's not always, and sometimes there's kind of the overcomer, and they make movies of those people that have overcome, but usually, statistically, how we started usually will always affect us in the end of our lives. It's very difficult for us to break the cycle, but not with Jesus' followers, because something happens within us that empowers us to change the course of our lives, break the curse of our old history, family, lineage, and we begin a new lineage in Jesus Christ. And everything that's been promised to us, we now have an inheritance. Come on. We now have a new dad. We have a new, a new family. We have, guess what? You don't have to have a rich family to get an inheritance in Jesus Christ. I think somebody, you need to hear that. Your inheritance is coming. Why? Because Jesus likes to give gifts to his kids. So some of you go, well, I, you know, I, I've had this sickness ever since I was here and I'm just going, no, no, uh, it's being interrupted. The cross interrupts that and your timeline continues. But this is where we need to go. What is your destination? And what I like to call it is destination living. You can write that down if you're taking notes. You need to have destination living. You need to know where you're going and how you're gonna get there. We're gonna talk about that. If you don't know where you're going, guess what? You're gonna marry the wrong person. If you don't know where you're going, you're gonna have the wrong career, you're gonna get stuck. Some of you, if you don't know where you're going, you are gonna be so discouraged, you're gonna be, be depressed. You're gonna live in depression and go, what happened? And guess what, you never had your eye on the mark so you don't know where you're going. And we, we think, and I, and I looked at the high schoolers today, and I honestly, I have to be honest, I was brokenhearted at our high schoolers. Not because they, they're not trying, but I just hated high school. Is anybody with me? Like, it was just this like, and you see a group over here that are like trying to like play, you know, like act like they're sleeping. And this group over here is like, please help me. I'm stuck with these people. And then this group's over here like, I'm too young to know anything. And then there's a kid over here that's heckling because he's trying to be the funny guy. But at the end of the day, he's just being obnoxious. And so all of a sudden you have this whole dynamic. And it's not that I'm, my natural is like, I want to smack somebody, bring somebody up here. Because I smack people all day, so come here. But I'm teasing. I don't smack them. I spank them. Other side. So. <laughs> but then my, my mom heart breaks. It's like, man, I remember what it was like to be there. It was so tough. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why, you know, that person didn't like me and that person liked me. And I didn't know why this person knew what they were. I mean, I met three girls a day. They knew what their majors were going to be and where they were going to go. They're sophomores. I'm like, I, I didn't know a lot of people like that. Is that. Am I just the only one? Do you remember a lot of people like, I have, here's my 10-year plan. Maybe you did. Maybe you, you were the smart kids. I was not. And so, you know, it just amazes me this kind of, how, where are we going? And so I understand some of you were never given or never empowered to even dream about where you could go. You weren't allowed to dream. You weren't allowed to know. You weren't al- it was like, if you just get out of the house, make some money, and just survive, because that's all that you knew. That's all you were taught. That's all that you've seen. And so tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about destination. You have to have a destination to know where you're going. Listen, how many of you in the room, and you don't have to raise your hand, but would like to get married? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want, right? I'd like to marry how much of your week, how, yeah, marriage is a big deal. How much of your week do you spend preparing to be married? You go, well, I'm, I don't have anybody. I mean, isn't that presumptuous? I, I don't think so. So you're going to prepare 
when you're madly in love, dying to get married and have every hormone going crazy and you're going to prepare. Hey, maybe I should have a purity plan. Hey, maybe I should, I should figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Hey, maybe I should, listen, everything we do in school and in life, preparation is never bad. You should know your top five strengths. You should know what your love languages are. You should know what your personality type is. You should know what your top weaknesses are. You should know what your greatest grace is and what you are good at. And you should know what you're horrible at. You should be like, I am horrible at that. Don't eat, don't give me that. I will destroy it. And you should, the more you know what you are not and the more you know what you are, the clearer you're going to be in getting there. The problem is that we're told we're supposed to be good at everything. Well, do you want to be the jack of all trades? Or do you want to be the person that's really good at one thing? Expert at one thing. And in spiritual life, we just go, well, I just want it all. Well, what if you're just called to be a prophet? That's it. You're just, you just get a word and you share it when it comes upon you. What if some of you are just called to be wisdom and you just are so good at wisdom. When people come to you and ask you a question, you're like, I got an answer. It's so funny. I, I got clarity. I just feel like, what if you're the one that has the word and you know the word so well, you may not be good at all this other administrative and all that, but you know the word, the word lives within you and you breathe the word and you spend time like an athlete, an hour or two a day working on your craft so you know your word so well that when God calls upon you, you're ready. The Bible says to be ready in and out of season. And I met with someone today that has a desire to speak and she's, she's working her way. And I asked her, so how often are you working on messages? And she said, well, I don't have any invitations. And I said, well, I understand that sometimes we think we have to be invited into things, to then, then we prepare. But to me, in our spiritual lives, we don't have to be invited into things. God's already invited you into it. We start to prepare. Some of you right now, you, have, you go, I kind of feel like I'm called to evangelism. I don't know. Take some time. Begin to figure out what your destination is. For me, my destination is I want to create a culture of a beautiful family, a godly family. That's, that's what I'm after. And you're part of that. Like, you're part of my beautiful family culture. Like, come on, guys. Let's be, you could be my family. I'll be your mom. I'm Italian. I can have a lot of kids. But you know... That's my destiny. So wherever I'm going, I want to take anybody with me to create a family culture that's beautiful and loving and full of God. And so my destination doesn't change. But when I know my destination, we know where I'm going and how, I don't know how I'm always going to get there, but I know where I'm going. You see, sometimes we feel like in God, we have to know where we're going and how we're going to get there before we ask him. How many of you ever found, found that? How many of you have struggled with knowing where God's calling you to go? Well, I would say this. I'd say a few things. Number one, I would say you're going to have to go after your fear of failure. Because until you're willing to, to actually acknowledge that failure is not going to kill you, you're never going to step out of the boat. And so when you don't step out of the boat, it's impossible to dream big dreams because dreams require the impossible. And so we'd rather dream 
practical and how far can I pay my bill till this month is, if I dream that, that I'm going to have to be okay, that it may not look like I want it, but I'm going to try to get there. Some of you as well don't feel like you have permission to dream because of your past failures. And God wants to give you permission to dream again in your life, to look ahead. So we have to have a clear vision of our destination. You gotta know where you're going. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, and I love how the Amplified says it, no redemptive revelation of God. Where there is no redemptive revelation, where there is no understanding that, hey, it's all gonna work out, God is on the throne and he is gonna work it out. Where there is no hope, the people perish. Some of you have lost hope and you don't know why you don't know your destiny and it's because you're hopeless. And God wants to restore your hope, but part of that hope is that you're gonna have to rectify some of your offense. Offense is what sucks hope out of us. It says that every painful thing in our life was intentional and it was out to get us. And when, the, when we believe that, all of a sudden we go into survival mode, we put walls up all around us, and we pray that no one hurts us. And we have no hope, we're prisoners. Some of you have been asking God to show you what's next in your life, and he keeps pointing to the person you need to forgive. And you keep saying, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he says, okay, I'll wait. Revelation says, blessed are those who, who it doesn't say in these, in these words, but it says that, we, that we, when we keep our heart from offense, he's after that. John the Baptist, Jesus sent John the Baptist a message and he said to John, blessed are those who are not offended at the things I put him through. And so part of our role in knowing our destination is understanding that offense will keep us from it an offense is the roadblock to hope. So we can't see our destiny because we can technically see our destiny, but offense draws a wall. And we can't see over the wall into our destiny. And so we just keep banging the wall back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And we don't know what's wrong. But if we actually let forgiveness in, hope breathes us again into our future. It says, you can do this, baby. You got this. You were made for this. That's what hope says. Hope says it's all going to work out. Every heartbroken thing that you've gone through, it's all going to turn around and it's going to be worth it. It may not change the pain, but there'll be a purpose in it and you will understand at the end that I never left your side. That's what hope does. So we need a destination. We need to know how to get there. Without a redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. The end in mind. You need the end in mind. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you've got to know where you're going in your life. And you have to take time to do that. You need to, if you don't know where you're going, you need to turn your computer off, your TV off, your phone off for a day. Give yourself a day. Be kind to yourself and say, God, speak to me. I need to know what I'm doing here. You deserve that time to sit before him and say, lead me beside still waters, God. Show me the way out. I need to know. 
And then you need to get the word of the Lord in your heart and that word, listen, listen. If you get the word of the Lord over your life, you'll be able to carry it wherever you go and it will continue to carry hope wherever you are. I love the phrase that said, and I wish I had invented it but, or created it, but it said, um, favor comes when you are the best you are wherever you are. Favor comes when you are the best you are wherever you are. You're never going to be the best you are until you know where you're going. See, for me, if I was trying to be the best at what I was and I didn't really know what I was doing, then I'd be panicking. Because I have four children and two ministries and I have a full life. And all of a sudden, if I'm sitting here and the first lie that I believe is, I need to be really educated in the word, so I need to go to Bible school. I, I need to go to Bible I mean, I should know the Bible. I, I got to go to Bible school. I would literally throw all my kids to the side and go to school because I'm after this. I've got to have, I got to have, I got to have. But I have got to take the lies that come at me and my destination is that I don't lose my family in the midst of ministry. My destination is that I have a wonderful marriage as I do the work of the kingdom. My, my vision is that I stay financially secure in the work of the ministry and I don't go into debt to further ministry. And so I have my eye on the goal and that I actually can look around the table when my kids are older and not avoid anyone's eyes because I knew I did everything with integrity before my family. That's my vision in my life. And so I keep that before me. And so then when something comes at me like a, hey, you should be smart. You should go to Bible school. I mean, that's what all the cool people are doing. You should have done, you missed the boat. You should try to do that. When it comes at me, which could be a good idea, it could be a God idea later, but it's not a God idea at this moment. I can look at it and say, how does it line up with me being able to look at my kids and know that I gave them the best in their life at this season? It doesn't. How does it line up with me being the best wife for my husband in the season that I am? It doesn't. How does it line up with my message that God can use anything and take anything and make it a wonder and me being a, a little bit unskilled and uneducated helps with that process? Maybe I should stick with that for a little bit. I'm not quite, I, I, if, my, if my anxiety is to figure it out so that I'm not embarrassed about something, it's probably not going to bear great fruit. So you've got to, now, now this is what's going to happen with some of you. What, what's your name? I'm not going to embarrass you, but this is Saul. I will embarrass you probably a little. If Saul says in his heart, I have a desire to be married. I know that one day I will be married. I don't know when, but I don't know if you are married, but is, are you married? Okay. So I have a desire to be married one day. He's, he's available. Okay. He's not available. That's not good either. Okay. Don't. All of you put, turn your eyes. Okay. So he says, I'm going to be married. Are you going to be married? Maybe one day? Okay. So he looks at that. Sorry, I'm really embarrassing you. I'm about to ask you again. No, I'm kidding. Okay, um, I, this is my goal. So I have this in mind. So then all of a sudden, let's say he wants to be married. He's believing for that. Some person, some girl comes along his path who's not ready to be married. She's cute. She's really cute. She's available. She's super sweet. But he looks at her and he goes, no, nah, but she's not my... She's not married. She needs some healing in her life. And I'm not going to bring that healing, if you know what I mean, to her life. Some of you are thinking of a song right now. So. You'll get there. So. 
He says to him, I need to, I love that she is interested. That's flattering. But I'm going here. And if I take a sideline and a detour here, it's going to take me out for a long season. And so he makes a decision. What's your, what's your name? Patrick. Patrick says, I feel like I'm called to the ministry. I don't know how I'm going to fully get there, but I feel like I'm called to it. And I, I need to go towards that. So then all of a sudden, Someone says, hey, Patrick, come over here to the mission field. It's awesome. We're feeding orphans. You need to make a way. I mean, sell all you have. Sell, and just make, you know, get all your money and, 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 and send out letters. And let's get you here for two weeks. And you may have to quit your job, but that's okay. You're feeding orphans. It's going to be awesome. And Patrick's like, I want to. You just got back. Awesome. I want to do that. But if I sell all I have and go feed orphans for two weeks and I come back and I have to put all of my internship away at the church or hanging out with pastor friends and getting used to the ministry and seeing my future because I have to work three jobs to pay for a car that I just got rid of to go feed orphans for two weeks, it's not going to work well. So he looks ahead and he says, they're all fantastic ideas. If you're in the will of God, guess what? 18,000 things are going to come at you because you're because you want God. And people will see that in you. You will become one of the most attractive people in church. When you go, I want God. Because people go, I love that. Let's use them. Come on. Come on. So you're going to have to get clearer and clearer and clearer about what you want to do and where you need to go. So when things come at you, you don't move. You just keep going forward. You need a destination. Some of you are dating the wrong people because you don't have a destination. You just want to feel liked. That's okay. When you're 16. But it's not okay when you want to have a marriage. It's not okay when you want to build a family so the world can see what the, what the bride of Christ looks like with the church. It's not okay if you want to lay your life down for somebody and show your kids. Maybe you have kids and you're dating somebody. You're not, your kids aren't going to see. If you're dating the wrong person and you're trying to give your kids a great life, guess what? Your goal is not their happiness. It's your happiness. Right there. So I lay a lot of things down to pick up my cross and follow God. Some of your greatest weaknesses will be your good ideas versus your God ideas in your life. And your good ideas will never get you here. You'll have some great feelings along the way, but you will end up having gone eight different places and six different churches and done three different ministries, but you will never know who you are and you'll never be clear, that is me and that is not me. And so what happens? When we know what our destination is, guess what? All of a sudden, we begin to develop core values. We begin to develop core values. So this is what it looks like. If we have a destination, oh, this is an eraser. That's a big eraser. Okay. Um, if this is the cross and this is our destination is over here, okay? This is really key. You guys are not taught this in church, and I hope that you get this. Maybe you are, but not in my church. Okay. Uh, destination is there. Wait, that's not right. Destin. Hold on. Let's try that again. Okay. Then what you have, what you have is you know where you're going. Well, underneath it, now all of a sudden, your core values begin to be developed. 
What are core values? Well, core values come out of knowing how you're going to build the kingdom of God. It's the choices that you make. It's what is your big deals. If you had a big kind of glass cistern or a glass vase in front of you, I would say, what are the rocks? Put the rocks in. What are the biggest things in your life? And you'd begin to structure your life by your core values. You say, what are my core values? What do you spend most of your time doing? You go, I don't know. Well, why don't you journal it for a week? Everything you do, write it down. I spent 10 minutes on the computer here. I spent 30 minutes over here. I spent that. And begin to look at how you spend your life because you're never going to get to your destination if you always say, I don't have time. Some of you, that is literally, you wear it like a badge. I just, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I have so much going on. Really, we all have the same amount of time. We all have the same amount of time. Now, some of you are working really hard, but you know what? That's, that's the season you're in. Some of you need to be working hard. It keeps you out of trouble. But some of you need to pull way back and realize that you think your core values are church, but really your core values are if you're going to catch the game or not. That's okay. Just got to be honest. It's not like, oh my gosh, that's the impardonable sin. How are you going to make it? (laughs) No, it's fine. But you just got to be honest where you are. There's nothing wrong. My, wow, my core value is to spend time with my kids. But if I journal and I watch that I've been putting my kids in front of the TV for five hours a day so that I can surf the net, my core value is to be in, in, socially connected more than invest in my kids. So we start to identify those things. We start to build the kingdom. Matthew 16, 18 says, I tell you that, and he's talking to Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So how we live builds the kingdom of God. How you live builds the kingdom of God around you. The kingdom of God is not a destination, it's the journey. I'm not all of a sudden a pastor, and I travel, and I speak, and I'm over here, and I'm over here, and so now I'm in the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm the kingdom of God person now. No, no. I was the kingdom of God when I was 17, and God got a hold of my heart. I was the kingdom of God when I was answering phones at my church. I was the kingdom of God, come on, when I was cleaning toilets in our church. I was the kingdom of God when I was getting married on my honeymoon, right? I was the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God dwells within me, and wherever I go, the kingdom of God goes, and wherever the atmosphere changes, it's because I'm in the room, and what's going on on the inside comes on the outside, and it changes the atmosphere I'm in. And so my core values will dictate where I'm going and it dictates the environment that I want to live in. Some of you don't like your environment. You, don't, you feel like you're surrounded by critical people, your friends are critical, your parents are critical, your boss is critical, maybe you're critical. And you're waiting for everyone else to change and at the end of the day, guess what? You're the only person you can change. You have, if you can change someone else, you are the most powerful person in the entire room and we want to worship you. No, we don't. But you cannot change a single soul. You cannot change your spouse. You cannot, I mean, I can control my kids a little bit because I'm the boss of them, but not for very long because these boys are going to get bigger 
and they're going to start to rule their own life. But all of us that are adults, we have no power to control. The only thing I can control is what's going on here. And if I don't like what's going on in here, guess what? It goes everywhere with me. And so some of you are expecting your environment to change you and to change the way you feel about your life and to change your experience. And I want to tell you something. You're going to be exhausted because you're running around trying to find environments that make you feel good and really you're trying to run from yourself. And so the best thing you can do is gift yourself with an internal change and say, I'm not doing anything until I get right. So your core values begin. Now, it sounds really complicated, but it's really, really simple. Your core values are as simple as what you believe and how you live. It's where you spend your time. And if you can get what you believe to line up with how you spend your time, you're going to find a synergy in your life, a supernatural synergy where favor comes and things seem to just clink together and something happens. I'm just telling you. You're going to have to trust me on this. The moment you get what you were created to do right, and then you get your time and your energy surrounding it, and you begin to do it over and over, day in and day out, and you dedicate yourself to it until it becomes you, things click into place and something happens and everything gets easy. Not easy like, wow, things get hard like responsibility because people want to be around you. Things get hard because people want something that you have and so they want you to come, hang out with them, teach them, talk to them, be with them because it's attractive. But the hard stuff is over. The, the who am I? What am I doing? Am I counting? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing on the face? That all gets resolved. So I want to tell you tonight, some of you, you're wondering if you're always going to feel this way about your future and what you're supposed to do and how it's supposed to look. And I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. Because upon you, he'll build his kingdom. He is so excited about your life. He's so excited about the person you're becoming. He's so excited about what he's creating in you, even if it's small and you're like, oh, it's embarrassing. Guess what? He's still excited about it because he's your dad. He thinks you're great. He's so, I mean, my kids, if I had Judah came to me and Judah was like, mom, I drew this picture and I'm like, son, that sucks please don't ever show me a picture like that again. You go back and you draw me something I can, I know what it, it is. Come on. You're a Cunnington son. No, you'd be like, you are cruel. You need to call CPS. That's a cruel mother. Right? Because it's against my, it just really is against my nature to be cruel to my children. I just want to tell you that. If you had parents that were cruel to you, guess what? They went against their God-given nature to be kind to you. They should have been kind to you. doesn't mean they do everything right, but there should have been an underlying kindness toward you, sensitivity, gentleness. You can do it. I love you. You're mine. You belong here. I want you. And so when we get that right, something happens within us. We have a clear destination. So our core values change. And everything happens when we make choices. Listen, all of this happens when we make choices. Your choice is your power. That's all the power you have. 
The Holy Spirit is the rest of the power in your life. But every day and every moment, you're the only one that gets to decide how you want to live. You're the only one. You go, well, they made me mad. I didn't know they were that powerful. Then anyone can make you mad. Well, you don't know them. Oh, I have a few. Well, so-and-so didn't let me. I was supposed to be a leader, and they never recognized me, and I was supposed to do this, and then they never called me, and they never recognized me, and so I'm just here. You mean they were powerful enough to stop your calling? Wow. There's some pretty powerful people out there. No, I'm serious. You, you're going to have to go to the cross about this stuff because if you think someone is powerful enough to alter your destiny in God and rob you of your future in him, I want you to know it is not true. You said, well, that's the only way I saw it working out. Well, guess what? Your God is able to see above it and work the whole thing out for you. You're never stuck. So our core values begin to change. It begins to change who we are. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And I just want to talk about this story for a minute. Luke chapter 8 is the woman who has the issue of blood. She's not healthy. She's been hurting for a long time, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 43, if you're turning there or flipping there in your phone or iPad or whatever. Uh, let's start at verse 40. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Wait a minute, let's go down a little bit, excuse me. Verse 43, excuse me. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Everybody say 12 years. But no one could heal her. Now it's interesting that he says that. She's been hurting for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. Not that long when you're older like us, but still long. And it says that no one can heal her. You wouldn't say no one can heal her unless she actually got, was someone tried to heal her, right? So here this woman is and she's stuck and she doesn't know what to do. And it says no one can heal her. And then verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately the bleeding stopped. Jesus asked, who touched me? They all denied it. And Peter said, Master, the people were crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she stood. She told him why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in peace. See, she had a vision that she was going to be healed. And she said to herself, if I can only touch his garment, then it's going to happen for me. And the faith in her caused her to press through the crowd, but not just press through the crowd. It allowed her to press through the shame. 
And see, some of us, we have a really hard time creating core values and seeing our destination because we're so filled with shame of what we should have done right, what we did wrong, if people only knew, if my life, if I had only made that decision, everything would have been changed. And shame keeps us out of connection with God and pure, we're not living pure lives. The meaning of purity is this, living without fear, without shame and guilt. That's what purity means, free from guilt and shame. That's it. You said, you, you mean you have to be a virgin to be? No, no. Purity is being free from guilt and shame. And so here she is. She sees Jesus and she says, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be free. And she pushes past her weakness, past her embarrassment, past her shame, and she touches Jesus. See, I don't think strong leaders have any special specific gifting that makes them better than anyone else. I've hung out with some really great leaders, world leaders that people would know that you would say, wow, how are they? They're totally, incredibly human. Human. So what makes them great? I think what makes them great is they push past the shame and they touch Jesus. They push past the brokenness and they touch Jesus. They push past their childhood and they touch Jesus. They push past their personality and their limitations and their timidity and they find Jesus and they say, I don't care anymore who's looking at me, who's crossed me off and said I'm not worthy, that I shouldn't be here. I don't care anymore. I'm gonna touch Jesus because he is my only hope to landing in the right place so that when I make it to eternity, I'm in the right place. And see, some of you aren't desperate enough to touch Jesus that you wonder why things are still broken. And guess what? No one can touch Jesus for you. No one. Not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your husband. If I sat and expected Ben to touch Jesus for me, guess what? there would be an unhealthy reality in my life and I would be frustrated because he might be able to do it a few times and bring Jesus to me, but what happens when I need Jesus and he's, he's, not, he's not doing it? Now I'm blaming him. Where's Jesus? Why won't you be the leader in our home? Why won't you bring Jesus to our home? What's wrong with you? And all of a sudden, he's now become the priest between me and Jesus. And so what it requires for a healthy marriage and relationship is that I have to say, I love you, but I'm desperate enough to touch Jesus on my own. And so I'm gonna touch Jesus, and guess what? I hope you touch Jesus, so when we're both touching Jesus, we look over and it's each other that we see. But there has to be, I'm telling you guys, please hear my heart, please. You have got to get spiritually aggressive for your life to work. This is not gonna fall in your lap. You're not just gonna become a spiritual overnight because you had nothing else to do. You're not gonna become a godly person because you hung out with the right people and they rubbed off on you, no. It's gonna take everything you've got to make right decisions, to push past fear and shame and selfishness and pride and get to the face of Jesus and say, guess what, my core values are, I'm not hanging out with people like that anymore. Because it's not because of you, it's because of who I become when I'm hanging out with you. 
guess what? I'm not going to have that in my life. I don't watch movies like that. Why? Well, I'm an adult. I can watch movies. No, no. I don't watch things like that because I don't like where it leaves me at the end of the movie when I'm by myself and I have unhealthy, I have needs, real needs that need to be met and I don't want to meet them in an unhealthy way. Come on. Come on. I don't watch reality shows like that, not because I am stumbled by the way that they live because they don't know God and that's who they are. But I don't like watching what people have that I don't have and it's a fairy tale life and it caused me to look at my own little car and my own pile of laundry and wonder when the maid's coming and why can't I drive a Range Rover because I'm cute enough to drive one. <laughs> and so I don't like what it feeds me. And I'm the only one in charge of what goes on here. So if I sit and watch sports for the two days that I'm off work and I watch sports and I watch sports and I realize that all I've been doing is living through a TV screen and when I wake up on Monday morning, I'm tired. I don't get up and read the word. I don't have anything to give to my family because I'm so burned out watching a big screen for 48 hours cheering for people that don't hear me cheering and could care less if I'm watching. I just got to play this video game. I just got to play this video game. I don't know. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I get, trust me, I am not, a, I mean, I'm not saying don't you dare touch your face. I mean, I love surfing the web. I love movies. I love to go to movies. I love to shop. I like, I like to drink. I like all of it. But the moment it begins to take over and begins to change my core values is the moment that it goes out the window for me. And how do you know it changes this? Sometimes you have to practice abstinence before you really know what's going on with your palate. That means this. Some of you have no idea what your core values are because you're so numb to everything around you and everything's just coming at you that by the time you're done with your week, you have no idea what you did. And so some of you are going to have to cut out things just like if I was to eat healthy when I do, and I have, and I've lost 40 pounds every time I have a baby, and I, I hate the thought, but I have to do it. I, ha I usually start by cutting out sugar. Have you ever tried to cut out sugar? It's probably the worst thing in the world. Really, besides a paper cut, it's probably the worst thing in the world. Sugar, three days. I warned my husband, I want you to know I'm going off sugar. You are not going to like me, and you're going to be sad you married me. But just give me three days, and we'll get there. And I fight it. I hate it. I hate going to bed at night on an empty stomach. I hate not being able to grab the chocolate that's free at the desk. I hate all these things. I like the feeling of it. But if I get through the three days, guess what? The cycle is broken. And now I'm able to realize, now I know what real food tastes like. Then I start to see where all the sugar is. Everywhere I go, there's sugar everywhere. I mean, you ever try to fast something, right? Everywhere you go, there's that, that thing. Right? How many knew that every holiday is celebrated with some kind of candy? It's ridiculous. And now my kids bring home candy, which they think disappears. They don't know that it goes in the pantry. But anyway, so you have to eat it in a day or it disappears. They don't, they don't, they don't quite understand that yet. So you have to sometimes practice abstinence to get your palate back to know what's really healthy in your life. Some of you need to stop calling your ex for like a month and just sit with it and find out who you are outside of them. Find out who you are without the Facebook. <laughs> 
the Facebook. My husband probably loved that. Uh, find out who you are apart from that friend or, or that event or partying or whatever. Just stop. Stop the insanity and just go, who am I right now? And clean it up. Last, secondly, is thir- thirdly, and we're almost done, is this. You have to have a flight plan, which means you have a destination and you have core values which dominate, but then you need to be able to know where am I going? How am I going to get there? So your core values begin to structure how you live your life and what your life looks like, but then you need a flight plan. And that flight plan is how are you going to get there? Now, I understand that not all flight plans happen, but some of you guys are such perfectionists that you don't even know what to, how to make it perfect so you don't do anything. And I have found in my own life that I've had to really confess being a spiritual idealistic person. If I can't have a quiet time with my perfect blanket and the heater at this temperature and this music playing and all my kids quiet, totally dead silent, and I can't have all that, then I can't have a quiet time. And the Lord just has been saying, you, and we, the Lord said this to my husband and I probably five years ago, and we just got on our knees one night and we just confessed to God, Lord, we confess that we have put you on hold in areas of our life because we think we're waiting for it to be quiet. And we have four children, it's never gonna be quiet. And so, you know what, God? If it's an hour with Elmo playing in the background, it's an hour with Elmo playing in the background. It is what it is. Some of you guys, if it's an hour with me at a Starbucks and there's people around, but you know what, I can put my headset in and I can just sit there, then that's what it is. I'm not going to be idealistic that I need so-and-so to meet with me and pastors and da, 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 and I've got to have my heart. Some of you, you think that every time you come to God, you need to get resaved. How many of you ever found that? So we spent 30 minutes. God, I'm so sorry for what I did. Some of you guys in worship, the first, the first 20 minutes. Uh, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I should have a good attitude today. Hey, I should text so-and-so and let them know that I'm sorry during worship just to make sure. And hey, I, you know, I should make that on a list. I should definitely. And so we're busy cleaning up our mess when we come to church or we get to read our Bible. Is that just me? And so we spent all this time. And you know what the best thing you can do is just simply press delete. What does that mean? Press delete. You know what, God? You saw it all. I don't even know if I'm really sorry for it all at this point. I want to be. Right? I want to be sorry. But I need to encounter you first before I actually clean my life up because I really can't. You're really the only one that can clean my life up. So I just want to encounter you. I don't even want to, that stuff, it, it'll, that stuff I've been trying to work on forever and it's not working that way. So let me just stop. Let me press delete and encounter you. There's times when I have 10 minutes in my life to encounter God and I encounter him. God, I just encounter you. 10 minutes, all I got. I got one time for one scripture and one quick prayer. And you know what? It's totally worth it. Totally counts. God does not put a measuring stick to that. And I'm a pastor Whoa, I know. I'm, I'm actually letting you know what goes on behind closed doors. Some pastors get hours and hours to prepare and their wives make them dinner and do all this crazy stuff and I get 10 minutes sometimes. Not all the time. But you know, I get up at 4.30 in the morning a lot. And I study from 4.30 to 6.30. 
because I have a flight plan and that plan is that I want to know the word and I want to know God and I want to be alive in my heart and I will not teach and train and minister if my husband and I are not right, if my kids are not right, if my home, sometimes, and I just want to, I'll throw this out at you. Sometimes when I go to preach, I will clean my house and vacuum and I will make lasagna and stick it in the oven and I will take a shower and I will leave and that's considered preparation for me. And you're like, well, don't you need five hours in the word? No. My preparation is I'm going to serve my family and get the kingdom of God right with my family before I do anything. And so some of you are shushing people around you so you can be spiritual. And really what you need to do is say, come over here and sit down and talk to me. What's going on? God, speak to me. You know you're shortening. Some of you dads, you have very little time. <laughs> How do I know? Because I'm married to one. And you have very little time, but the Lord knows that. And he's going to give you time when you need it. He'll encounter you in times when you don't have. Some of you guys are in college right now. You're in college and you're working two jobs and you don't know how it's going to work out. Well, guess what? God will make it work. Are you ready to get up at two in the morning and meet with him? Well, I need my sleep. Well, I'm just asking. He's not going to always do it, but are you willing? Are you willing to encounter him? Well, I got to go to the gym. Well, listen to a podcast while you're at the gym. You got an hour. Put your headphones in. Praise God. Speak in tongues. People will think you're just working out hard. <laughs> Sometimes I have to do two things at once, and it's spiritual. Put my dishes away and listen to a podcast. Listen to a message. That's spiritual, guys. Let's not be idealistic. This is real life. We've got to be able to merge our real life into our spiritual lives or we're never going to make it. Lives are only going to get crazier, more accessible, more, I mean, come on. Some of you guys have all the time in the world right now and you still feel busy. Add in a family and then, then come cry with us. We must develop a response that is equal to the challenge. So we need a flight plan. What's your flight plan? Some of you guys, you need to go out and buy a book on marriage today. You're like, well, I don't have anybody. Well, you know what? Get prepared. Some of you, you want to be in ministry. You need to get a book on ministry. You need to meet with a pastor. You need to confess. This is what I, my heart is. Some of you, you want to be a leader. Don't go sign up for Bible school. Pay off your debt. Because the worst thing you can do is be in ministry and be up to your eyeballs in debt. Then you're working to just pay your debt while you're a minister. That's the worst feeling. I told Ben I would never do ministry to pay off. It's a horrible feeling. So lastly is this. You need a destination. You need core values that help make sure that you're going in the right direction. You need a flight plan. And then you need a compass. Right? It looks something like that. I know you guys are very jealous. Your compass will take you where you need to go. It will lead you. Now, what's our compass? Number one is this. You need to be in the word of God. Just look at me, all of you that would call yourself a Christian. You need to be in the word of God. But the reality is, and stats show, that most of us aren't in the word of God. And the reason we're not in the word of God is not because we don't want to be in the word of God. It's that we don't quite know where to go with it. And so we look at this big book and we think, how am I going to eat this word? Like, how am I going to know this? I, this is crazy. And then we actually sit down to read it and we get to like the begots. 
And we're so, it's like I got up early to read who had who. Really? And so what you need to do is, you need to have a plan. And that plan for some of you is, you need to begin to buy books that teach you about the word and get you into the word. Some of you need to listen to Bible teachers that get you hungry. Some of you, when you're coming to meetings like this and you just sit there, and I totally get it. Some of you are total audio learners and that's how you're, you're absorbing it. But what I do, in my, and I'm not a big studier, is when someone preaches, I have my word in front of me. And every time they preach, I turn to where they're talking about and I look at it and I underline or highlight something that they're talking about and then Monday morning I know where to go. Like I want to learn more about that. that. That's interesting to me. I don't really know the story they're talking about. I don't even know that person's in the Bible. I should find that out. And it, it draws me. Some of you need to get an app on your, on your phone that reminds you. Some of you, like that, that, an alarm that goes off every 30 minutes until you read your word. There's Bible plans. There's so much accessible to us. But you need to say, I'm not going to take a shower until I read my word. That's just where I'm at. Because I take showers more than I read the word, and it's not working for me. I need to figure it out. Are you a night person or a morning person? You need to figure that out. Some of you are trying to get up in the morning, and you're a night person. And you're like, God isn't even up yet. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? Who's a night person? I'm married to you. And it's crazy how, how alive you guys are. We open that for me. So some of you are morning people. So what you need to do is don't get up in the morning and check your email immediately. You need to say, before I check my email, I'm going to read the word. Because when you read your, something about it, there's, you have clear mind in the morning. How many of you are morning people? There's this like really sweet clarity. Does anybody have that? It's just like this sweet little clarity moment. Don't, don't waste that on, the, on Google. Waste it on the word. Take a minute. Say, tell yourself, I'm only going to read 10 minutes. I will not allow myself to read an hour. I want to, I wanna, when I stop, I want to be hungry for more. That's it. Don't allow yourself to go crazy and set these high, I got, I'm going to read three hours a day because I'm going to be, no, stop it. Smack yourself right now. Just smack yourself. If that, if work yourself up to that, that's awesome. But set a realistic goal. I'd rather you be in the word consistently than to set unrealistic goals and then be walk around in shame. Okay? Some of you need to listen to, to messages. I listen usually in my life, and I'm trying to be as practical as I can because I feel like people don't tell us how to do these things. I usually listen to a message, and when I listen to a message, it gets me hungry for the word, and then I open the word. Something about listening to somebody, there's, I have a few favorites and I listen to them. It's usually when I'm getting ready in the morning and I pop it on my iPod or my phone and I listen to it and then I open the word and that's good for me. Some of you are not readers. You need to get the Bible on audio and some audio audible and there are apps on your phone that will read you the word out loud for free. Okay. So you're never going to know your destination unless you have a flight plan, but your flight plan only works with the word because the word reads us. We don't just read the word, the word reads us. It shows us where we're off, what's selfish, what's working, what's not working, how to have hope, all of that. Lastly is this, we not only have the word as our guide, but we have the Holy Spirit as our guide and he shows us how to do things. How does, the whole, how does God talk? Now that's a whole other message and you have to have me back for that, but I will tell you this. God speaks all the time and he's speaking to you. I guarantee it. It's a continual voice 
and it continually comes at you. A lot of you think that it's just yourself talking to yourself. A lot of you think that it's just, oh, that's just another thing, or you've drowned it out. But what I would say is this. If you quiet yourself for a minute and you say, God, speak to me. If you hear something that says, God doesn't speak to me, that's the devil. <laughs> that's yourself. That's not God. God would never say, I don't speak to you. Secondly, if you hear another voice that says, you don't deserve God to talk to you because you're so dirty. If people knew who you were, God wouldn't speak to you anyway. That's the devil. God would not talk to you like that. Then you'll hear a voice that will come up and it will say something that says something like, you can do this, or I'm proud of you, or just, just take the first step. And whatever the word is, it will be filled with hope and it will feel like, that's interesting. And then ask yourself, why would the devil want to encourage me? Why would, why would I want to encourage myself like that? When I already know who I am, I would not be that excited about myself. And you start to let his voice dominate your life. I will not do a thing until you tell me what to do. And all of a sudden, it begins clear and clear. Our core values change, our destination. I want to be a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly minister. My core values, I only allow things in my life that feed that in a healthy way and keep me safe. And then... I know where I'm gonna, how I'm going to get there. I'm studying. I'm preparing. I'm making things right. And then I'm walking daily with the Holy Spirit that's leading me and guiding me to keep me safe in the midst. If I'm only a word girl, guess what? I'm going to miss the Holy Spirit. If I'm only a Holy Spirit girl, guess what? I'm going to miss what the word said. I know it's both, but you have to have both. Is that good? You guys with me? And then you're going to need a lot of courage. Everything I do takes courage. Sometimes it surprises me. The more that I follow God, I feel like the more courage he requires of me. And it, I always am like, God, really? God goes, yep, step out. And so what I do in my life is I look at my life and I think this, what would a courageous person do at this moment? What do I want to do and what would a courageous person do? And then whatever that courageous person would do, I set my heart to do it. I'm going to do that very thing. I'm going to believe, I'm going to hope, I'm going to declare, all that good stuff.